I want you to open your Bibles to chapter 6 of the Gospel of John. We're headed for verse 51. I'm going to preach uh, from first... Try again. I'm going to go from verse 51 to verse 59. And here's my qualifier. Everybody listen carefully while you're turning. In the text, after Jesus teaches this message... A bunch of people deserted him. Please don't do that. Okay? Because we're going to go through this. And if you haven't been with us, especially through chapter 6, you may be going, what? This is crazy. So I really encourage you, come back next week and and listen to the second part where Jesus kind of explains himself. Um, We have to take this in little bite-sized pieces so that we can wrap our heads around it. We are headed for communion this morning because our text just sets it up for us to share communion. And so uh, today we'll get through verse 59. Next week we will, Lord willing, Lord willing, we will finish chapter 6. People who came, if you've been gone all summer long, we start, you probably remember when we started chapter 6. We're still in chapter 6. Yeah, you've missed a lot. Just, uh, man, I've, I got to tell you, I have enjoyed, probably a little too much because sometimes people are like, hurry up, Brent. I have enjoyed just camping out in chapter six. Sometimes I get this mental image of just wallowing around in what God has to say to us. Do you ever think that way? It's a little bit weird. Okay, well, I'm going to move along then. Uh, chapter six, it's, I just think that it's brilliant how, how the Holy Spirit through the apostle John, uh, is making the case that Jesus is the bread and he's using this metaphor in a very big way is the bread of eternal life. We're going to come back to that here later. Uh, he takes us from the five loaves and the two fishes. Remember that story? Jesus feeds the 5,000 with the five loaves and the two fishes. And then he's taking us now. He started this last week and, or week before last in the previous text. He, he's, he takes us from the five loaves and the fishes to the flesh and blood of Jesus. We transition from the necessity of physical sustenance for temporary life to the necessity of spiritual sustenance for eternal life. Are you with me so far? Just as nourishment is necessary, nourishment is necessary for physical life, right? I mean, you you guys are with me at 12.05. We're like, I'm going to die if I don't eat. I'm that way. My wife gets annoyed with me. Nourishment is necessary for physical life. Jesus is our nourishment. He is our source for spiritual and eternal life. Our key verse for the, our study in the Gospel of John is John chapter 20, verse 30. If you would read it real loud with me. Yeah, there we go. Um, i just ch- check and make sure we've got the right one. Thank you, dear, for helping me out because I lost my brain. Did you find any soap cards? <coughs> You may have to write it on your own paper this morning. I have an idea. Write it on your offering envelope. There you go. Oh, shots fired. Ah, 
we should just keep that. All right, here we go. Our key verse back to our text. Y'all are distracting me. Uh, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Read it real loud. Jesus's disciples saw him do many other miraculous signs besides the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life. (laughs) Amen. I titled this this morning, True Food and Drink. This is really what the text is about. I'm not just making this up because I'm always hungry, okay? Every human being has the same basic needs for physical survival. We learn this in psychology 101 or biology. We have to have oxygen or we'll suffocate pretty quickly, right? We have to have water or we'll die of dehydration. We have to have food or we'll starve to death and we have to have shelter. Four things that we have to have. If we don't have shelter, we'll die of exposure. Most of us, are you with me so far? I mean, it's not genius. I haven't said anything brilliant yet. Okay. Most of us have learned along the way that there is water that will make you sick. Possibly kill you, right? You always see in the movies, these people, they get stranded out in the ocean and they eventually drink the salt water and it makes them sick. Not good. There is water that you cannot drink. It'll make you sick. There are things that you can eat that will also make you sick and kill you. So you have some food and some drink will kill you quickly. Some will kill you slowly. I'm putting that thought in your brain because we're going to come back to it way later in our text. Jesus has introduced himself here in John chapter 6 as the bread of life. Not to get all culinary. I am getting to my text here in a minute. Just have to set up some stuff. Not to get all culinary, but almost every culture has some sort of bread that is a staple in their diet. Now, maybe you haven't given a lot of thought to this, but I have. Uh-huh. Yeah? It is, the bread is not necessarily the star of a certain culture's cuisine, but it's just a necessary staple. I joke about tortillas all the time. I kind of joke. I'm actually very serious about tortillas. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that tortillas show up in almost every one of our Mexican dishes, right? We're fine with that. That's good. That's perfectly fine. It's a staple. I imagine that every one of us also has a loaf of bread in our kitchen. And if you're not making Mexican food with a tortilla, which I don't know why you would do that. If you're not making Mexican food with a tortilla, you are somehow incorporating a slice of bread somehow into your meal. If you're having breakfast and frying eggs, you make a piece of Toast. If you're having lunch, you make a sandwich and you use some bread. And then in the evening, you're having some chicken fried steak with some mashed potatoes and gravy all over it. Hallelujah. You run out of the chicken fried steak. You run out of the mashed potatoes, but you still have gravy. So you reach for the bread. Mmm. I feel the spirit moving this morning. 
Yeah. If you don't have a tortilla for your gravy, you use the Wonder Bread. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He very intentionally uses the word bread because we understand bread as a staple in our diet of what we consume. I need you. I've said this before in John chapter 6. I need you. The, John, the author here, he needs the reader. He needs us. The Holy Spirit needs you to wrap your brain around the concept and all of the metaphor and what it means that Jesus is the bread of life. He is the staple. He's not the gravy. He's not the green chili. Jesus is the necessary staple. He's not an accessory. He's not an accessory. We can't make Jesus an accessory. You can't make a burrito without a tortilla, sweetheart. I know white people try to do that. We call it a burrito in a bowl. No, it's not. You're trying to trick me into eating salad. No. Don't, don't tell me that. <laughs> My wife does that every once in a while. She tries me. It's a burrito in a bowl. No, it's not. Previously in our text, it's a whole lot of lettuce with a little salsa on it and a piece of chicken. It's a salad. Come on, wife. <clears throat> I'm kidding, and I'll get in trouble for that later from everybody except for Diane because she just has learned to ignore me. Previous... To our text. We're headed for our text now. I'm giving you the heads up. I've given you plenty of time to figure out how to turn on your devices and find your Bible in John chapter 6, verse 51. Previous to our text for today, Jesus has introduced the idea of eating his flesh. Previously, he says, I'm the bread of life and it's sent from heaven. And this, this group of people listening, they're like, what? Sent from heaven? That makes no sense. And they get agitated. Now, he's going to ramp up the problem even more. So in verse 51, he says, I am the, the living bread. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Okay. He's dovetailing with what he said previously. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Previously, they had a problem with him saying that he came down from heaven. Their problem's going to change now. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. Okay, he's using a metaphor, whatever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. Jesus just told us, anyone who eats this bread will have eternal life. Okay. And then Jesus offers his own body so that the world may eat his flesh. <laughs> that reminds me of a story, but I'm going to let it go. Diane knows what I'm talking about. I had a little problem this morning. Anyway, I'll tell you later if you ask me. <laughs> Jesus offers his, he says, here, you can eat my flesh, which leads this crowd to their reaction, which picks up our text for today, verse 52. Then, are we all together? I gave you plenty of time to get here. Verse 52, then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant how can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. It's a legitimate question, right? This is weird. This is so weird. Jesus 
instructed, he instructed Nicodemus way back in John chapter 3, if you remember that story. He tells Nicodemus to be born again. And Nicodemus says, what? How can I be born again? Now Jesus in chapter 6 says, you must eat my flesh. And the people again are saying, what? How can we eat your flesh? This is weird stuff. It needs more explanation. I speak for a living. All right, here we go. Verse 53, carrying on in, in the text. So Jesus said again, because if you tell somebody the same thing a second time, they get it, right? It's my kids. Anyway, it's another story. So Jesus said to them again, he says, I tell you the truth. And remember, we've come across this phrase before, and I love it because this is whenever Jesus says, hey, pay attention. Oh, see how that works. I love it. Such authority. I tell you the truth. Listen. Get off of Facebook for 30 seconds and listen. <laughs> Unless, so he's going to, so they're already arguing because he says, I give you my flesh to eat. This is the bread. This is the bread. This is my flesh. You can eat it. Then he says, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. You cannot have eternal life within you. You have to eat the flesh of the Son of Man. You have to drink the blood. You cannot, unless you do, you cannot have inside of you eternal life. Have you got that? You got to engage your brain. This is a really heady uh, text, I think, and, and it's kind of dark too. Verse 54, but anyone, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person on the last day. It's pretty big. It's, it's wonderful. Jesus is telling them that it is, the, it is through consuming his flesh. Everyone say consuming. It's through consuming his flesh and drinking his blood that a person can have eternal life and be raised to life on that last day. Now, is Jesus condoning cannibalism? What is he doing? What in the world is happening? You, we, we're going to see at the end of this text that Jesus is teaching this in a synagogue. So there would have been a lot of Jewish people there, a lot of people with Jewish backgrounds. The Jews would have been particularly incensed by this idea. Because they had all been taught the law of Moses. You remember previous in the text, we're like, what about Moses? He was our leader. Tell us about Moses. We want to hear about Moses. They'd been taught the law of Moses and they put a lot of faith in it. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 10 and 11, he says, oh, I also wrote in my notes here. You ought to turn to this. So I know I'm kind of deviating. We're going to take a detour for a second, but this is important. So if you have your Bibles, turn to, to Leviticus 17, uh, verses 10 and 11 is where I'm going to read. If you don't have your Bibles, then I'm just making this up and I may be misleading you. You'll never know. Okay. Uh-oh. And if any native Israelite or foreigner living among you, if any native Israelite or foreigner living among you eats or drinks blood in any form, Leviticus 17, 10, I will turn against that person. God is speaking. 
buddy, you don't want God to turn against you. He says, if anyone, an, an Israelite or a foreigner living among you, if they, eat any, uh, if they eat or drink blood in any form, I will turn against that person and cut them off from the community of your people. Verse 11, for the life of the blood, pardon me, for the life of the body is in its blood. If you write in your Bible, you should highlight that. Write it, circle it. For the life of the body is in its blood. And then God says, I have given you the blood on the altar to, anybody? Purify you. Making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life. It's a sacrificial system. Kill the animal, they bleed out. They take the blood and it's offered as a sacrifice. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. There's a lot going on, man. I, I, I know that I am creating all these little strings, and then we're going to tie them together in the end. The Levitical law, the law of Moses, tells us you don't consume blood because the law says not to. And if the law says not to, that's good enough. The law says not to consume blood because the life of the body, what, what now? The Life of the body is in the blood. Are you with me? God has given the blood for the sake of purification. There's a purpose for the blood. It's not to fill your tummy when you're hungry. The blood is given for the sake of purification. God has set the lifeblood aside for the sake, for the purpose of purification. The Israel, are you with me? All right. The, the Israelites, later on, they're going to be instructed. I love this. This is a beautiful picture. They're instructed to wash the tabernacle, the place where they're going to gather to worship God because his presence is going to be in the Holy of Holies and all that the temple represents or the tabernacle represents. They are going to be instructed to wash the tabernacle, later on the temple, and all of the utensils inside. They are instructed to wash it all with Blood, because blood is set aside for purification. So the tabernacle, the temple, the dwelling place of the most holy God is washed with the lifeblood of an animal. Blood makes purification possible. God did that. Okay? I like the way you're looking at me. Where are you going, Brant? On one hand, you can see how the Jew is repulsed by the idea of drinking someone's blood or eating their flesh because they've been taught that if you do, 
God will cut you off. He will reject you. He will push you away. So their understanding is that eating flesh and drinking someone's blood, it makes no sense to us. However, because you and I have the privilege of knowing the end of the story, that this story in John chapter 6 is pointing to a much greater event down the road. It's nothing short of glorious that God's plan is to... Oh my goodness, are you, are you with me? God's glorious plan is nothing short, pardon me, there is nothing short of glorious that God's plan is to purify you with the blood of the one and only eternal Lamb of God. God set this whole system up for you. That's good. In fact, if we think all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2, God meets with Adam and Eve. Verse 16, he says to them, you may freely eat. They're in the Garden of Eden. Life is wonderful. You may eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember this story? Don't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if you do, if you eat its fruit, you are surely going to die. You will die. There's some foods you can eat that will cause you to die. Then, later on in the story, I'm skipping a whole bunch for the sake of time. Then in chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they are deceived by the serpent. And they eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Remember? The fall of man. They disobey God. They take the fruit and they eat it. It was by consuming putting something into their bodies, that sin was introduced into the human equation. Because sin didn't just enter Adam and Eve. It was through one man, sin entered the whole world, all of us. Are you with me? Then, after they sinned and ate from the tree of knowledge and good and evil, then, because of their sinful state, they recognized immediately they had the knowledge of good and evil. They recognized that they were naked, so they hid from God. There's a whole sermon there. I'm going to leave it alone. You're going to hide from God. You're a genius. They even attempted to cover their nakedness by sewing fig leaves together so that God wouldn't see their nakedness, so they wouldn't be exposed to a holy God. But when God discovers Adam and Eve in, John, in, in, pardon me, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, I'm skipping through the story so fast, I hope you're familiar with it. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, God made for Adam and his wife skins and clothed them. God went out and killed an animal where the lifeblood was shed 
And he took the skin and he covered their nakedness. Blood was spilled for the first time to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. Just wrap your brain around what is happening. The lifeblood is given for the covering of sin. Adam and Eve wanted to eat some fruit so that they could be more like God. And they ate the wrong fruit. We're going to come back to that later. I assume that they could have eaten from the tree of life. The text doesn't say they couldn't. He says there's one tree you cannot eat from. I think that they could have eaten from the tree of life, but they didn't. They didn't. And the blood that was shed for them in Genesis 3:21 that I just read only listen carefully, it only covers their sinfulness. It doesn't actually forgive them of their sins. It covers their sins. I'm twisting your theology, aren't I? Some of you are all, wait a second. Listen to what Jesus is telling you and me here in back to John chapter 6, verse 55. I'm going to read this slowly because we have to get our brains around it as we go through it. It's very important. He says, Jesus is speaking. He says, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true food drink. This is not just any burrito in a bowl. This is true food. Bigger than your own reality. Bigger than our perception of time. Jesus says, for my flesh is true food. This is, this is what is really real in the paradigm of God the kingdom of God. My blood is the true drink. And all the Texans said, but what about iced tea? I was complaining to my wife yesterday about our tea making at our house. We drink a lot of tea. I wasn't even home yesterday and we were out of tea all day long. I, I digress, don't I? Okay, here we are. My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He says, you have all this other food, you have all of this other drink, but focus like a laser. There is one food, there is one blood, there is one flesh, there's one drink. Verse 56, anyone who eats my flesh, Jesus doubles down on this offensive language here. Verse, you know that this is why uh, back, I'm sorry, I've digressed again. Uh, back in the, I think it was in the 90s where we came up with the seeker sensitive churches. We didn't want to tell people about eating the flesh of Jesus or drinking his blood or being washed, our sins being washed away by the blood of Christ because it's gross, Right? And we decided as a church community in America that because these pictures are gross, we shouldn't talk about them in church. Unfortunately, I think we have a whole generation that are missing the importance of consuming Jesus. All right, I got that off my chest. I'll get back to my text now. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, say this word remains in me and I 
in him. Are you picturing that? Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live. Here's going to explain it. I live because of the living father who sent me. I live because of the living Father who sent me in the same way anyone who, this is gross, feeds on me. That should elicit some sort of a weird picture in your head. Anyone who feeds on me will live because of what? Me. And he's talking about Jesus. When you, we'll, we'll, we'll change the terms so that the picture is a little more palatable. When you eat an apple, oh, you know what? We should change this to an apricot. Have you guys been watching the apricot trees? And I grew up where we had this huge apricot tree. This has nothing to do with my message. Uh, I grew up where we had this huge apricot tree in the backyard, and every year it was in Dalhart in West Texas. We had, we had all these apricots, and it was fun. Uh, and since I've lived in Farmington for the last 24 years, I used to see a few apricots. But yesterday we were driving out on uh, Old Ruins Road, and the apricot trees are orange with a few specks of green because they're so loaded down with apricots. That's beautiful. God's magnificent, isn't he? Okay, we're back to this. Okay, so let's say that you eat an apricot, or as some of you more learned people say, an apricot. <laughs> you consume this piece of fruit and it breaks down into your body, right? Your body breaks down the fruit, this apricot, this apple. And the nutrients from that fruit, it gives you energy. It gives you life in a sense, right? And on a molecular, say that 10 times fast, level, that apple or that apricot, it becomes a part of you. Your body absorbs that nutrients and it becomes an actual part of you. That's pretty deep thought, isn't it? I know we went for biology this morning. What you consume becomes a part of you. Jesus tells us that he is the true food and his blood is the true drink. Of all the things we could choose to eat and drink, Jesus says, I am the true food. I am the true drink. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil back there in the Garden of Eden was not the true food. That's really not difficult for us to understand, right? Caused the fall of humanity. Simply knowing what is good and knowing what is evil does not lead to life. Are you with me? We spend so much time figuring out what is good and what is bad and telling everybody else what is good and what is bad. Jesus is the true food. He's the true drink. How so? I got to hurry up. How is Jesus the true food and drink? In verse 56, he says, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him Sometimes we talk about the presence of Jesus, presence of God, as though it's this mystical faraway thing. But Jesus talks about eating his flesh, drinking his blood, so that we, are, we remain in him and he remains in us. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And now he says, God can dwell, remain in you. And you say, yeah, but I'm not worthy. Oh, because we're not done yet. We're not done yet. You're not worthy, by the way. But that's why the blood is important. All right? What you consume, if you're writing, you should write this down. What you consume will remain in you. Now, you understand the metaphor. It works to a, very, to a degree, and then it falls apart. That's how metaphors are. What you consume will remain in you. Jesus says, I live because of the living Father who sent me. How is it that Jesus lives? Jesus lives because of the living Father. He's connected to God the Father. Jesus lives because of the living Father in him is giving him life. And those who feed, the logical progression that Jesus goes with, is those who feed on Jesus will live because Jesus will live in them. How does Jesus live? Life from God. Zoe is the Greek word. So Zoe comes from the living father. Zoe goes to Jesus. Jesus remains in us. We consume him. He remains in us. Now we have Zoe life. It's actually that simple. It's really, really, really simple. Now, I don't want to get all weird science, but in a physical way, what you eat, what you consume it lives, it remains in you. And what you consume in a spiritual sense, uh-oh, we're fixing to take a turn here. Hold on to your britches. What you consume in a spiritual sense lives in you as well. I'm going to leave it alone. We're going to keep moving along. Verse 58, he says, Jesus says, I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone, anyone, not just Jews, not Gentiles, any race, any, anyone, any human being who eats this bread will not die. It's almost like Jesus says the same thing, verse after verse. Anyone who eats this bread will not die. And then he goes after the Jews. He says, as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna that Moses gave them, remember. But will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Let's go back. Anyone who eats this bread will not die, but will live forever. The million dollar question is, how do I consume Jesus? Now, I have spent a lot of money on commentaries of men who are geniuses. Biblical scholars for years and years, and they've been tried and tested over the years. So whenever I come to this point in my sermon last night, because I studied yesterday, it's been a crazy week, I come bebopping out of my office at the house, and I go, hey, Diane. I have all these scholars, right? I go to my wife. When it gets really tough, sweetheart, I need your help with my sermon. How do we consume Jesus. And then I went outside and I watered for a little while because I wanted her to have lots of time to think about it because I need a brilliant answer. Huh? So you guys think I do this all by myself? No, you don't. You know that I don't. 
I don't do anything by myself. I rely on my wife. How do I consume Jesus? Because obviously it's a metaphor and he doesn't mean that we, we eat flesh. That's not, that's not what he's, no, that's weird. So Diane gave me a good answer and here's the roundabout way to Diane's answer. Do you remember when you first began to date uh, the person that became your spouse? For, do you remember that? I know some of that, that was just last week. Some of you, it was a long time ago. <laughs> really strange to remember back that far. I remember whenever I first started dating Diane and we would go to dinner. First time we went to dinner, there was, uh, was it Chelsea's? Do y'all remember Chelsea's at the mall? Loud music, it was probably a Friday night, I don't know. I just remember there was loud music and I'm straining to hear every word that she says because I want to, I want to absorb what she is saying because I am very interested in her. When you were dating, you studied that person. You studied every move that they made. Diane and I have this ongoing joke about when you're dating and you know you have the gear shifter in the middle. You put your hand on it. And then you check to see if they move their hand. You know, her hand's on her leg. Your hand's on the gear shifter. Maybe it falls over into the cup holder. Her hand scoots across. You hit a bump and accidentally touch pinkies. <laughs> so fun. Relationships are great. Diane's looking at me like I didn't do that. And I know she did it too. She was watching my pinky. Is he going to touch my pinky? You're watching, you're studying, you're consuming. Something's going on over here. <laughs> Something is going on. You watch them because you're, you're looking for all these clues of how am I supposed to act? Am I supposed to touch your pinky? Am I not supposed to touch your pinky? Is this just a friend date? We're getting to know each other to see if we want to date and touch pinkies or not. So we're paying attention, but we're, we're liking this person. And so we're, we're internalizing everything that we can possibly learn about them. Right? You needed to know, when you were dating that person, you needed to know more about them in an intimate way. What's your favorite color? Where's your favorite place to eat? Do you make tortillas? I, you, you watch women with babies. They do this more often than men do. But you watch women with babies every once in a while. They're holding them and, you know, newborn babies. And they have their little chubby arms and they're kissing them. And I, I've seen Diane do this many times. So beware of if she asks to hold your baby. That she, she's, she starts off with kissing and then she goes, mm, I just want to bite you. <laughs> because somewhere in our psychology... You, maybe you've done that to your spouse. Please don't share those stories. <laughs> Somewhere in our psychology, we have this connection of devouring another person. Not in a physical way, in a relational way. Are you with me? Where we just want to be close to them. We want to know them. We want to be intertwined with them. What you consume 
is what remains in you. When you study Jesus, when you strive to understand who Jesus was and who Jesus is today so that you can internalize everything you can internalize about him, when you need to know Jesus, when you know you need Jesus, you have consumed him. He is alive in you. That is why whenever I bring up soap and I bring up prayer and sometimes I get a little bit of Buddy, if you had dated your wife like you pursue a knowledge of Jesus, you would be single. Right? We pursued our wives because there's something biological inside of us that says, whoa, she's awesome. Something that says, whoa, man. Get it? There's, whoa, any doesn't matter. So whenever people are not, don't have a desire to pursue a, an, a relationship, a knowledge of Jesus Christ, when they're like, yeah, I could read my Bible and know, know Jesus, or I could do something fun. Then I start thinking, something is missing here. Are you with me? One more story. We've got to hurry up. My wife made uh, Italian beef sandwiches this last week. When we do that, because we're very rich, uh, we buy Asiago cheese bread. Has anybody ever had Asiago cheese bread? We go down to Safeway, and we give them four and a half dollars <laughs> for a loaf of Asiago cheese bread. If you've not had Asiago cheese bread, it's right up there with crack. <clears throat> I'm kidding. I, I have no context for that. I just said it. So the kids even have this problem. My, Diane's going to make Italian roast beefs on Friday. She goes grocery shopping on Wednesday. That means for two days we have to walk by the Italian, I mean the, the Asiago cheese bread. Because it calls to us. Come and eat. I hear it. Yeah. You don't have to tell me, Brent, you have to eat your Asiago cheese bread. You have to commit. You have to write on a card that you're going to eat Asiago cheese bread twice a, a week. You don't have to ask me to do that. All you have to do is set it out there. and The temptation is to eat it, not to leave it alone. But whenever it comes to pursuing a relationship with Jesus, we have this thing in our brain where I've gone to church and I've encountered the bread of life. I got a crouton, I'm good for the week. <laughs> and then our frustration is I have conversations with people about they are living this weak, anemic, beaten down, frustrated life. Jeet yet? Oh, that was funny, you guys. Jeet yet? Oh, I, I went to church on Sunday. Brent, you know, he talked about like six verses. We left stuffed. I had like a crouton and a half. Do you see what I'm saying, church? Uh-huh. Okay, we're going to carry on. 
This was Diane's answer to me. She said, I'm reminded of the gospels. And when Jesus says, so, so I think it's very interesting that Matthew, Mark, and Luke report, report Jesus's words almost uh, exactly the same. And John completely leaves them out. Jesus says in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not in John, he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. What does consuming Jesus look like? When you love God with, when you love Jesus with all of your heart, I don't have room to love the things of this world. I'm consumed with Jesus in my heart, with all of my soul and with all of my mind. I'm thinking about Jesus. I'm concerned about knowing him more and understanding who he is. John distills this love down to eat the true food. You have a, a smorgasbord of things you can eat, but then there's the true food and there's the true, true drink. Are you with me? internalize Jesus, seek after Jesus, pursue knowing and understanding and believing in him with all that you are. But Brent, I've got this thing in, no, but I want to create my own life. No, I want to love the things that I want to love. No, no, no. He says all trust in him for eternal life. You can't go around the garden just eating off of whatever tree hoping to get eternal life. Jesus has given, very, given us very specific instructions of which tree to eat from. Eat from the bread of life and you'll have life. We go, oh, but this one looks good. No. Pursue Jesus for spiritual life just like you pursue bread for temporary life. Pursuing knowing, pardon me, yeah, pursuing knowing Jesus is going to include reading your Bible and prayer. It just is. If you feel spiritually hungry, it's not my fault. It's not. There's a very real purpose in SOAP and the 12-minute prayer card. I do my best as a pastor because I love you. And whenever I don't see you, I genuinely miss you guys. I love you. So I do my very best to set the table so that you can eat. It is completely up to you whether or not you eat. Don't ever tell me I didn't get fed at that church. You will make me crazy. <laughs> you don't even have to read. You pull up version and click the little triangle and it will read it to you. Oh, I didn't get fed at that church wrong with your arm? Here's my challenge. I got to hurry up. I got one minute and we still have 20 minutes of service. Come on, Brent. Here's my challenge. And then we're going to share communion together. Some of you come to church. You've been around Christianity. You, even, you would even say that you're a believer. Mm -hmm. But you've never made the commitment to consume the flesh and blood of Jesus. Instead, you actually consume, watch this, keep up with the metaphor, you actually consume from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it is killing you. You know what is right. You know what is sinful. 
but you don't have the power within you to choose wisely. This is why we have to have Jesus inside of us. Because even if we know what is good, even if we know what is bad, you will choose what is bad. We do it. You know that God knows what is best for you, yet you continue to refuse to surrender your will to him, his will for your life over what you think is best for you. You live in you, and there's the problem. And you're miserable. So my challenge is surrender it all to Jesus. Give it all to him. Pursue him with all that you are, Spend some time reading your Bible and journaling, reacting to it, wrestling with it. Spend some time praying, Lord, help me to die to myself and my own will so that you can live more in me. And ultimately allow Jesus to be alive in you. Because that is our hope for eternal life.